This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. The following episode of TOEFOP is rated M.A. It may contain Batman references, time travel references, sexual references, lost trains of thought, and mild coarse language. TOEFOP advises that the program is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15 or anyone who enjoys succinct, coherent conversation that might actually have a point. Minors must be accompanied by a parent, guardian or priest. This is John Deke speaking. Relax, this is Tofop. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. Hello. Wow. Let's pretend like we haven't done another podcast before this one. <laughs> yeah, we just did a half an hour episode of our, our Patreon bonus content for our other footy podcast, uh, Two Guys, One Cup. And I know this isn't the sort of thing that the listeners want to hear about and they don't really give a shit about, but yeah. Charlie has gone and got a... What, how have you a fixed router. the internet in America? Well, uh, I... We're so frustrated. We've had bad internet the whole time I've been away. And uh, it was breaking point on Wednesday when we did our footy podcast. Like, well, how many times did, it, did, it, did we drop out? About five times? Well, five. enough times that uh, I, we considered uh, seven <laughs> times, Mike Hallis told us. Right. Seven times it dropped out during the podcast and we had to recommence. And it was one of those ones where we were both on sort of time constraints <laughs> on the day. And I nearly threw my computer out the window and walked into the ocean. Yeah. I was almost done with fucking life. That was going to be my breaking point. Everyone would have been like, what happened? And I was like, just had dropped out one too many fucking times and he was done. So I, uh, I, was, I thought, well, I'll just, I'll get a dongle. Because when I've been on the road before we've done this show, buy a prepaid uh, dongle and the internet, you can connect to 4G, it works beautifully. But couldn't really find... Any in like they went to T-Mobile, AT&T, uh, AT&T, eventually got sent to a Best Buy. And I met this very helpful uh, employee who sold me on the router like, like he was like the best used car salesman on the planet. Like I came in and I wanted a router and he was like, I wanted a, a dongle. And he's like, no, man, like you're going to pay way too much for that. And what's your problem? What's your problem? Just tell me what your problem is. And so I explained, you know, the internet dropout and... It's a cable connection. The TV seems to work fine, but for some reason, it's like, what's your Wi-Fi signal? What's your Wi-Fi signal? And he brought out like all the different routers I could get. And I said, well, look, it's on TOEFOP, so get me the most expensive one. <laughs> so he hooked me up with this. And I was very, I was very skeptical because there are routers in this apartment that I've plugged in and I've tried different routers and none of them seem to have worked. But he said this one was a brand new one. And I plugged it in, logged in, and boom, to the point where like all day, I've just been downloading like the biggest video files. I just downloaded like WrestleMania, five hours of video content, just streaming it, just, just to kind of like get it out of my system, just to have some video streaming <laughs> constantly. I've been living in a very narrow stream wheel and now it's just turned into the Nile River. So I'm just letting everything flow through. Uh, well, that's amazing to hear. I'm really excited about that. Thank you very much for rerouting my house. I yeah. appreciate that. And it's yeah. uh, so satisfying to be able to see you in real time. <laughs> do i look different you do 
I mean, look, the great thing about you is, I mean, I must admit, the only thing that constantly amuses me when the internet was dropping out is because we're talking to each other on Skype, often you would just freeze. Yeah. In particular, modelly poses. <laughs> I think just naturally because you're an actor, you move in a way that like you kind of just like, if the camera catches you at any angle, it's yeah. not an unflattering angle. Well, it's often an unflattering angle, but it's often a comedically unflattering angle. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know what my sides are. I know where my light is. I try and set things up in a way that... Uh, that that shows off the money maker to people who will never actually see it. <laughs> um, how, what have you been doing in America? What have you been up to? We haven't had a real chat about what's been going on over there. Well, so I've just uh, pilot season sort of wound down. It's pretty quiet for auditions and everything at the moment, which is fine. So I've just been writing. Um, there's a couple of things. Uh, we're going in for funding, Gemma and I, in the middle of the year. So I just did another pass of that script and I've just started a new one. And I've written an outline for a TV series. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, yeah. It's something that uh, uh, was sparked by a conversation we had on this show, but it's in its incubation period. I will share it with you at a certain point. Um, right. But uh, uh, I, I can't say anything about it right now, but there's time travel and Kathy Bates has expressed an interest <laughs> in looking at the script. Well, we had the conversation off air um, about all the kind of content we've put out, they're almost 200 hours or probably over 200 hours now of TOEFOP. And the ideas that we've come up with, which we just throw out for free and never think about it again because neither of us listen back to the show. So yeah, I was like, and occasionally, you know, maybe other people listen to and think that'd make a really good idea and go yeah. away and make it into an idea. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> so... Uh, I started thinking, because when, when I write on my own, like I like writing on my own, uh, but I also like the idea of being in a writer's room. I love the idea because I often will hang out with friends of mine who are writers or comedians or whatever and start bouncing around ideas. And I'm like, oh God, that's, you know, I wish I had a pen and a paper here. I could write that down. And then I think, well, actually, I, I kind of do that every week with someone. Like we bounce ideas around. And sometimes the people listening to the show will add to that idea. And sometimes those things turn into something like a quantum cop or, or whatever. So... Um, yeah, this idea, it, it, it's, it's, it was just a small conversation we had, but I couldn't stop thinking about it. So I've written this little idea down and, uh, uh, uh yeah, that's what I've been doing. That's, that's basically been my day is, uh, uh I, I will get up in the morning. I'll go for a, a, a hike in Runyon Canyon or go to the gym or whatever. Then I just lock myself in this apartment, uh, for hours at a time. Uh, so, uh, did you watch WrestleMania? Have you already yes. watched WrestleMania? Yeah, yeah, that's been my treat. When I'm when I uh, make have meal breaks and stuff, I get to watch a bit of like <laughs> WrestleMania. So I just finished it. I just finished it today. Actually, did you see any of it? I haven't seen any of it. So give us a like. Okay, WrestleMania spoilers. Okay, so but, the big know, story yeah. from WrestleMania this year was Ronda Rousey. She made her uh, she made her debut debut. Shit, I did probably science a couple of weeks ago, and I finished the episode by saying debut, and they stopped me and they said debut. Is that how Australians say debut? And I had to think about it. I'm like, I don't think they do in Australia. I think it's just me. I think I say debut as in like I'm, 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 I'm seeing a ghost. <laughs> I live in Brooklyn and I've seen a ghost. Debut. Yeah. Yeah. A daytime ghost. Yeah. You know, that's what they call them. A debut. Yeah. It's, <laughs> no, I think debut is like an Australian way of is saying it? debut. Yeah. I think it's, okay. a, it might not be in a totally Australian. It might be one of those ones like, you know, uh, people can tell the Victorian accent from the Adelaide accent, for example, by little words. And I think it might be one of those ones. But I, I think I might be a, de a debut. They made their debut? Debut. 
I reckon either. I, I reckon I flop around from one to the other, but I reckon I've used both. Yeah. I think I. I mean, I, yeah. I I I know there's debut and unless debut, that's a the, you know, know it's the girlfriend you have or the boyfriend you have that you only see during the day or your partner's at work. Mm. Oh yeah, he's my debut. Yeah. The other one's my baby daddy, and yeah. that one's my debut. Did you ever see the Arias that year that Jessica Malboy had to pre uh, present best debut album, and she called it Debut? <laughs> No, debut, didn't she? Didn't she say it was best debut yeah. album? And I mean, you'd assume so Mixlot would win that every year, right? <laughs> he loves big debuts. <laughs> yeah, and he cannot lie. The one person in the truth is dedicated to the truth worldwide. So, uh, yeah, the big, the big uh, match was Ronda Rousey. So it was Ronda Rousey and Kurt Angle taking on Stephanie McMahon and Triple H. And coming back into wrestling, um, having not watched it for like probably a decade, it's really... It's nice to see where these characters have landed, like characters I haven't sort of uh, had much to do with in 10 years, like Triple H and Stephanie. Back when I was watching it, probably when you were watching it too, like Stephanie was, right. um, I think she started as Vince McMahon's kind of innocent daughter who then sort of became this kind of harpy kind of like corporate witch or whatever. Well, now they've just extended that. That's so evolve that by 10 years. So she's now, because Vince is really old now. That's the other thing you notice when they interview him. He's not getting in the ring with Stone Cold Steve Austin anymore. Like, he's an old dude, still a massive dude, but old. So it's really, um, it's really down to Stephanie. She's sort of the figurehead, the corporate figurehead. But the genius is that Triple H is her, like, accomplice. Because Triple H, I think he's the general manager or some shit. I don't know. Whatever those bullshit roles are, they make up for people. <laughs> Although he probably actually is. That's the brilliant thing about it. They're blurring the lines. Because they're this power couple. Uh, but it must be hard when you're actually working in the WWE, though, to be able to differentiate real life conversations with the stuff that's actually on the shows, because you're just like they're going, "Oh, well, look, we want to renegotiate your contract," and you're like, "But we're in an office. Yeah, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. Can you actually renegotiate a contract in an office? How does this work? Hang on, are you Triple H the actual CEO, or are you Triple H the CEO who's going to slam me with a chair in a second? I just uh need to know." So Mark Hal just said that Triple H is the COO, the Chief Operating Officer. I think that's actually okay. a legit role because you see him doing like the press stuff as well. But that's what I love about it. Like if Gil McLaughlin, you know, the, uh, the, the CEO of the AFL would, you know, come down and play a quarter or two, you know, for one of the teams. Wouldn't that just, make the just, game a bit more exciting? But just on grand final day. <laughs> yeah. Like, especially if, like, just say, you know, he'd overseen the suspension of Dusty Martin or something, then it's Dusty's first back after suspension and Gil has to line up in the middle, you know? <laughs> it's a whole new spin on it. So, uh, yeah, so Steph is kind of like this ultra bitch uh, uh, character. And Triple H is now, he's got shaved head, big beard. He still looks pretty much the same, like, physically in the same shape. Um but Kurt Angle's back and back in the ring as well. And Ronda Rousey was really good. She actually, she actually, I mean, she's not great on the mic yet, but the actual in-ring performance, I guess, because she's like a genuine wrestler, was really, really good. I mean, there was a, she actually took on Triple H at one point in the match, which is just awesome. Really? Yeah, it was great. But the best bit of the entire show, I think, I mean, there's a lot of kind of matches with dudes I'm not caught up on yet, so I probably won't go into that because I don't really know who they are, but... I found it very entertaining, but there was one match between Bron, uh, Bron, Braun Strowman, who's the new kind of like unbeatable monster kind of character. He's like this seven foot, just enormous kind of, 
started off as a heel, but just through the fact that he does, you might've seen clips of him. He, he flips over like semi trailers and shit with his bare hands. Like right. <laughs> that's his shtick is he's just this like monster. So he took on Seamus, the Irish wrestler. Have you seen that guy? Uh-huh. I've seen Seamus. I know yeah, Seamus and is. Cesaro, who is this a Swiss guy. And they're quite a funny tag team. They're kind of like, I guess they're baby faces, but they're kind of baby face heels. They're like a European tag team, you know. Right. Um, so they took on Braun Strowman in a handicap match. Well, not a handicap match. Braun, Stro- Braun Strowman comes out and says, I'm going to pick my tag team partner from the crowd. So he picks out this 10-year-old kid and puts him at the side of the ring. And it like, I mean, so much shit goes wrong in wrestling. Like Owen Hart, like people have real long-term injuries, concussions, that kind of stuff. I love that this fucking outlaw organization, like in this era of, you know, everything being uh, completely corporatized and OH&S and stuff, they still managed to get a 10-year-old child. And it seemed to be legit. Like, I don't know, maybe it was a setup, but this kid seemed to be genuinely surprised and put him beside the side of the ring as this monster, this like seven-foot wrestler that takes on these tag teams. And then like the kid is terrified, like doesn't know where to stand even. And they keep cutting to him and you can see him and he's shaking, like he's really, really scared because these enormous men are belting into each other, like just inches from his face. One stage, the tag team get the upper hand on Braun. And so he's getting beaten. And so he starts crawling out to his corner. And like he's got his hand out for the kid. And the kid's like sticking his hand out. And you're like, oh my God, like what is going to happen? They tag the kid in. No. And so Cesaro's there. And I'm like... I wouldn't be surprised if this kid goes to a table. Like, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if that's what happens. So the kid, like, but the kid's terrified. Did you see WrestleMania, guys? Uh, Vince McMahon (laughs) bought a child (laughs) and they killed it. It was the best. Threw him through a table. (laughs) So uh, the kid gets into the ring. He's scared, like, really terrified because Cesaro... He's staying in character. He's not, he's not right. softening it for the kid. He's acting like a scary, big, scary wrestler. <laughs> the kid shapes up to him and then freaks out and runs back and tagged Strowman back in. It was, it was great. Like I genuinely I had such a big smile on my face when I was watching it. But I do love what you're saying because like you said, in wrestling, so many things can go wrong. Like even with their best plans, it's a very sort of, you know, dangerous and violent thing. And just the idea of like the risk meeting, the risk analysis meeting they must have had about whether they could use a 10-year-old child, whether it's like a volunteer from the audience or whether it's an actor. It still must be. And just the idea that that meeting involves Triple H (laughs) sitting around a table. What do you think, Triple H? Is this a sensible idea or not? The thing is, as I've been getting back into wrestling, I've been watching more and more stuff like interviews with wrestlers, like the real stuff, the kind of where they talk about the industry and and how it works, because I'm interested. And the thing that I still can't quite get my head around is like, for instance, John Cena and The Rock had this huge rivalry a few years ago, which apparently was genuine animosity. John Cena thought that The Rock was a part-time wrestler, you know, would blow in for these main event things, take a position away from a, a, like a working wrestler and, Uh, then would piss off and didn't really invest in the company like the guys were there every day. And so they did like a couple, I think it was over like a couple of years, they did a couple of main events together where, uh, you know, one of them wins the title, then the other one wins the title and goes back and forth. And then at the end of their third match, I think it was, um, The Rock loses the title and they go backstage and you see them like hugging and you can't hear what they're saying, but they're sort of like clearly having like a kind of like clear the air kind of powwow. 
And then I saw an interview with The Rock and John Cena this week because they're both promoting films. And they were talking about like, oh yeah, like we get super competitive and we want to just go out there and, and beat the other guy. And I'm like, but how do you do that when it's predetermined? Does that just mean like in the actual contest, you just put on a better show or does it mean you hit harder? Like surely it's not, you've got to take care of the other dude, even though you don't like him and you're trying to, you know, you still got to take care of each other, right? Right. But I guess there's a difference between putting someone down yeah, really easily and putting someone down with that extra bit of, you know, you see it in AFL footy, you know, like you can tackle someone to the ground and just tackle them to the ground or you can lean into it that extra 10 or 15% so that they yeah get up a little bit more wonky. And I bet like in wrestling, there's a fine line between, you know, laying someone down and laying someone down. Yeah. There's a storyline going on in Japanese wrestling at the moment. <clears throat> someone posted a thread on it. Michael, you might search this while we talk about it. It's incredible. This, uh, it's, a multi th it's a multi post thread this guy put on Twitter because he's been watching Japanese wrestling. So there's a Japanese wrestler and an American wrestler who, whatever the Japan, Japan All Pro or whatever it is. And their storyline, which has been going for about 10 years, is they were both kind of they were rivals, you know, in the same kind of middleweight division or whatever. They became teammates. And there was always this kind of suggestion of, well, are they more than just friends? Like, are they lovers? There seems to be this kind of like genuine connection between these two guys. But in that was also the normal kind of wrestling histronics where it's like, you know, one of them betrays the other one and starts his own faction. The other guy gets his faction. And so through all their bouts, there was this undercurrent of, it's not just about the wrestling. There is a love story going on here, whether it's like a platonic love story between two men or like actual lovers, because one of the wrestlers, the American guy, is very coy about his sexuality, sort of plays, you know, plays both sides. But you follow this thread and you watch all these matches in which the guy who's running the thread updates you, well, this is where they are in their storyline. This is after, you know, he saw him with his new tag team partner and he destroyed the dressing room. It's, it's fucking engrossing, man. Like, it's so fantastic. Cause it's one of the reasons why I'm back into it. Cause I'm like, I don't really care much for kind of Netflix dramas, but this kind of drama <laughs> that's played out over 10 years, which culminates with two dudes beating each other in a ring. I think I'm down for that. <laughs> well, I am enjoying you getting back into wrestling and I must admit that it's, in some ways made me think that I might, you know, you know, dip my toe back in. But my problem is with wrestling yeah. that I know there's so much of it out there. And it's, it, I remember when I was really into it, how many hours of my week it could actually suck up because there's mm. a lot of it you can watch and then you can sort of, you know, particularly because I've missed so much over the last decade, I would want to suddenly go back and start looking at storylines and those sort of things. And yeah, I just don't know if I have the time. It's one He's of those things where I'm like, if I could just start from now and not have to do anything else, I'd probably be fine with it. Here's what you do. It, it, it's kind of like with collecting comics, you know, you used to collect every issue of the comic. Now you just will wait for, you know, the collected volume to come out. It's the same with the wrestling because every pay-per-view, they recap how those wrestlers got to that point. So all you need to do is occasionally watch like a, a main event and they'll tell you like everything that's happened to that point. That's the best part of the wrestling is the kind of two minute promo package they do before the actual match. So that's what I did is I just would go to the YouTube and find a few clips on YouTube and go, what, oh, that looks interesting. And then if the main event looked good or someone told me the main event was good, you watch that. So you can, you can cap it in a way that only sticks you to the really good stuff. Yeah, that's a good point actually because nothing more than the wrestling has uh, a, a lot of unnecessary padding. 
Mm. That is the thing that I remember is like you are sitting through a two or three hour event to get really like, you know, a good 15 minutes of storyline, which is the bit I'm most interested in. The yeah. wrestling always very much just the the extra bit that goes with the storylines as far as I was concerned. Well, the one great bit of padding they did in this WrestleMania was that John Cena didn't make it to WrestleMania. He, uh, he didn't win a spot there. And oh, he was, uh, no, as in like he was just not running late or something. I no, thought you were no. like, I didn't make it. Like you couldn't get an Uber. Well, he said, well, there's he, so much traffic around the event. There must John, be something on. Yeah, mate, John, it's WrestleMania. John Cena's such a company man. He said, look, even if I'm not on the card, I'm just going to take a seat and be like a fan because I love my wrestling. But prior to WrestleMania, he'd been baiting <clears throat> The Undertaker, The Phenom, only, uh, one in 21 WrestleManias, like only lost one or something like that. Hang and, on. So, Charlie, now yeah. this might seem like a very naive question, but I thought The Undertaker was dead or had... Like no. retired or something. No. Well, Did no, the, Undertak the Undertaker stage? is dead. Uh, that's how he started. Oh, well, yeah, I mean, of WWE. course, he's the, the undead risen to life. I understand that. But I actually thought that he was dead or he'd retired or something. No, he's still one of the biggest draw cards. The Undertaker? Is yeah. Is there not a point where he retired at some stage? He how old have. is The Undertaker now? 50-something. Yeah, right. He, he would be close. Apparently, he's got like bad hips and stuff, but he's still like... Looks he's... good for a guy who's been dead for 20 years. <laughs> Well, he's gone back to that old gimmick. You know how he went to the biker era around Attitude? Now he's yeah. back to the, like the dead man walking, long coat, big hat. Long trench coat. Has he yeah. got long hair or short hair? Well, this is what I was trying to work out. Because <clears throat> I saw a clip of him with short hair not too long ago, but now it's really long and I don't know if he's wearing a hairpiece. He's, he's losing the hair on top for sure. Like this is a losing battle. He hasn't shaved it yet, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe he wears a piece. Happy. Which is ironic, Charlie, because as we all know, famously, the only things that grow after you're dead are your fingernails and your hair. <laughs> so technically, you should have heaps of hair and really long fingernails. So John Cena had been calling out The Undertaker and had not heard anything. And then he was sitting there in the crowd and they cut to him and an attendant comes up and whispers something to him. And John Cena gets very animated and then just runs off. Runs backstage. So John, John Cena's just at WrestleMania, just sitting there just in hanging the crowd, out, just drinking a beer, taking selfies with fans. Enjoying uh, the show. Doesn't care show. he's not part of the biggest event. He's just happy to be there in the crowd. And you yeah. know what? I'll just have a nice, calm, peaceful day in the crowd <laughs> yeah. and just enjoy WrestleMania for once. Yeah, The Undertaker's not here. My costume's out the back. Don't need to go there. I'll just sit here because surely <laughs> nothing, nothing can will interrupt happen. my night. <laughs> And so he gets a call from the attendant and so he goes running back and the commentators are like pouring lots of hot sauce on it. Like, where's John Cena going? Where's he going? Where's he going? So he comes out because there's obviously got word that the Undertaker's going to get there. But it's a diversion. They bring out oh. some dude, I don't really know, some jobbing kind of wrestler who plays the guitar and stuff. He comes out and sings an insulting song to John Cena. So John Cena bashes him up. Uh, <laughs> And, and he's ba this is the best. He bashes him up and he wins and the crowd's cheering, the bell goes. But John Cena's not happy with that victory because he wanted to fight The Undertaker. So he's been, you know, everyone's like But a clapping. minute ago, Charlie, a minute ago, John Cena was just happy to <clears throat> sit there and watch the day and drink some beers. And now he's bashed a guy at WrestleMania and he's not happy? He's not happy about it. And so like he's, as the crowd's cheering, he's like sitting at one hand. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, clearly like, you know not happy with that victory and he's walking back up the ramp and he looks really down like John Cena it's mm. like oh that's a shame you know he gave up his beer and his pretzel to run backstage and yeah. then the his lights go out he's been ruined by this disrespectful young artist <laughs> yeah then the lights go out oh and a purple spotlight appears in the ring and there's the hat and the coat 
Then the lights go out again. Boom, there's The Undertaker. It's amazing. <laughs> and then The Undertaker beat John Cena. It was great. I'm back into wrestling. <laughs> I, there's just nothing better than the dramatic introduction. That's what I think that I miss the most from wrestling. Yes. Always my favorite moments of wrestling was that anticipation of like something was about to happen or not happen. And yeah. then the music would play and yeah. the lights would go down. And th th I just think it should be the way that you have to interrupt every conversation. With music, if you are totally. going to be, Yeah. Everyone should have their own music. We all have our own phones now. Yeah. It would be easy for us to do. If you want to interrupt somebody in any situation, you should have to play your own intro music and step into the conversation. <laughs> uh, well, we got some letters this okay. week. A lot of letters. Thank you, everyone. I guess um, uh, we, it, was, it, was, it must have been framed as a kind of like a pitying conversation because a lot of people preface their letters by saying, hey, I said you guys only got five letters last week. So we thought, you know, we thought we'd fill your mailbag. Uh, so I've selected a few that I thought we could talk about. <clears throat> the first okay. one, Will, is from James Cameron. The James Cameron. Well, it's a question about movies, so I assume yes. Well, uh, good to have him on board. I mean, obviously, <laughs> he's got a lot of time when he's down under the ocean developing new technology. Obviously, he has some time to listen to some podcasts for some new ideas. I apologize that I've never seen Avatar, but I've got a lot of ideas about how you can reboot Terminator. Give us a call. If Kathy Bates makes an appearance in the next Avatar, <laughs> Kathy Bates Avatar Cat Lady, we know he listens. Hey, Will and Charlie, which 80s classic film would be improved and why by setting it in Australia out of Back to the Future, The Karate Kid or The Lost Boys? Thank you for giving me an enjoyable drive every week. Uh, so the, the three were The Karate Kid, yeah. uh, The back Lost the, Boys. Yeah, and Back to the Future. <laughs> I would say The Lost Boys. I'm going to immediately go with The Lost Boys, I reckon, because I reckon you could do some sort of thing where you make the vampires, you make them some sort of more mythical Australian sort of, you know, creature. Like you could easily just adapt it to like, you know, go out into the middle of the outback, maybe incorporate some of the, you know, indigenous culture and some of the indigenous myths into the story. And then you kind of flip it a bit because they're yeah. not just like, you know, kind of that classic sort of cool vampire sort of thing. But there's a, it's a bigger story about the nature of, you know, spiritualism and the land and these sort of things and a person going into a new environment. And I, I think then that way the Lost Boys could be a bit more, misunderstood and you could have some more affection and sympathy for the lost boys i reckon you could do that you could set the, the lost boys in australia i love that idea and i also love the idea that a group of vampires are in a country that gets the most sun out of any on the planet <laughs> like that's what the entire movie should be about is them not able to leave their apartment just complaining about the uv index in the australian sun <laughs> just like right. always They're coming like back from the shops with 50 plus like, we can't believe we live here. There's a hole in the ozone layer. This is the worst place for a vampire to live, but we can't get anywhere else because it's so fucking sunny between where we are and where everything else is that we've had to live here for 100,000 years. I like your idea, though, because the original Lost Boys was set in some kind of fictional Californian beach community, right? That's very right. Australian. You could set this in like a Byron Bay type place, you know, like where there's just a little kind of community. It's a bit sort of hippy dippy, you know, there's every summer people flock to this there and that's when the, the Lost Boys come out and, and oh, well, take maybe you do it. Maybe you do it more as a, I was going to incorporate the indigenous culture, but maybe if you went that way, mm. um, you know, Byron Bay, that Brunswick Heads area, Northern Rivers, 
it's very sort of, um, yeah, hippy dippy, as you were saying, like alternative lifestyles and stuff like that. Um, Brunswick Heads or Mullumbimby has the highest non-vaccination rate in all of Australia. Maybe it's some sort of story about like, you know, the, yeah, these lost boys are, yeah, kids that weren't vaccinated who've developed some sort of like vampiric style sort of, you know. Mate, you take the vampire element out of that, that's still a compelling story. <laughs> like yeah. the generation <laughs> of children that have grown up unvaccinated and the curse that's meant on their lives. Yeah, exactly. There's like a lot of vampires with polio. <laughs> you still need that scene with the sexy, oiled up shirtless guy playing saxophone. Oh, yeah, well, that's fine. You just do that at the Beach Hotel at Byron yeah. Bay. Yeah. He's just out the back on the stage at the Beach Road Hotel, oiled up playing saxophone. Get one of the Hemsworths in for that. Yeah, he, he makes a cameo. Chris Hemsworth, because we're shooting it just down the road from where he lives. Yeah, that's he, right. He says, he says, I'll give you one day. And the only part I want in your movie is the oiled up saxophone player. Can we put your name on the poster? No. There's no point. No. Mate. Oh, and Luke has to be one of the Lost Boys. Uh, these are my two conditions. Yeah. I'll be in your movie if Luke gets to be one of the Lost Boys and I get to be the oiled up saxophone player. No role for Liam. They're my three conditions. <laughs> Rodney Hewins writes, Hi, Will and Charlie, Charlie and Will. Loving your podcast. You two have nearly replaced the need to turn on the TV. Ooh, yeah. nearly replaced it. I wonder what shows get holding us out. Oh, Game I mean, of Thrones. Yeah. Walking Dead. Have you been watching The Walking Dead? Is Never got into Walking Dead. It, it got really bad, but I, I've noticed in the last few episodes that I've caught, I, I've actually started to go, yeah, maybe it's getting a little bit better. Yeah, again. I, don't, I don't trust your opinion when it comes to TV shows. Like, you watched every episode of Smallville. Yeah, I mean, it's a good point, but it, that, that doesn't mean you shouldn't trust my opinion because while I did watch every episode of Smallville, I think you'll remember that I never told you that any of them were good. <laughs> I said I watched every episode of Smallville and it was a terrible show and I can tell you that definitively because I watched every episode of it. So I think you can trust my taste. I'm just saying don't follow my lead. I, I should trust my taste. I think that's the lesson out of this. I yeah, knew mate. it was terrible, but I kept watching anyway. Turn that high-powered perception in inwards, thanks. Take care of your own yard. Rodney writes, I would love to hear Siobhan Chuk's defense of her role in the monolithic Epicureanism saga. Would you consider inviting her on your podcast to answer for her alleged crimes against impartiality? No idea how you could make this happen, but I get the feeling there is more to this story. <laughs> I love it. I love these signs up with a bit of sizzle, like a conspiracy theory sizzle. Um, well, here's the thing. Uh, I imagine she's available. I don't know if she would uh, do it necessarily. We can, con we, we, we can contact her because um, Aaron Allen, superhero Aaron Allen, mandolin playing superhero Aaron Allen, said that uh, he's friends with her. Yeah, that is a good point, actually. And I think we, it'd, be far, it, we'd, it'd be easy enough to track down Siobhan Chuk, I imagine. I mean, she's probably Siobhan at SiobhanChuk.com. I mean, you know? is it, are we, are we going to sandbag her? Do we get her on and then just like hit her with like the accusations or do we like prep her? Well, that's the thing. We've already put all the allegations on the public record. All yeah. she need to do is listen to the episodes and then sort of go, well, this is not my recollection or this is my <laughs> recollection. I mean, it wasn't what, but the, oh, I don't know. Are we, are we, uh, do we want to let her have the right to reply? Is this something that we want to invite into our world? I don't know, Charlie. Is it one of those things that if we actually 
got the real story and it'd be nowhere near as magnificent as the real story? Or is there a possibility that this shit, because at every level of this, this seems mm. to have gone deeper than we ever imagined it could go. Is there a chance that there's a, you know, another Inception style, there's yet another fucking level of this that we haven't got to yet? Well, what I think we need to do is like, uh, is investigate a bit further because I feel like we need to know how deep the rabbit hole goes. Because mm. Siobhan Chu, because she was judging at my school and judging at your school, chances are she did more than one or two uh, uh, like uh, theatre events. Like she probably did multiple high schools. So maybe well, we should put yeah. the word out oh. and find like have if you, other people, have you performed for Siobhan Chu and how did you find her impartiality? You know what? Imagine, poor old Siobhanchuk, imagine if we uncover that she was going around the country theatre circuit fucking thwarting. cleaning up by just yeah. thwarting young people's dreams. <laughs> yeah. Just go going around with this little bit of bitterness, like going, fuck you, fuck you, and fuck you. <laughs> but it would be great because if we're an example, everyone that she dissuaded, it was the kick in the pants they needed to take a career. Oh, that's true. To the in next performance. level. So, to the next level. Exactly. So maybe, you know, that time travel theory of her being like actually uh, of benefit, maybe that's something that can be revealed. I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm not out to slander Siobhan Chuk. I think she does fine work in the comedy company and other assorted programs. But I would like to know if other people experience the same thing. Because it is unusual, right, that you and I would have exactly the same story. We grew up in completely different parts of town, you know, completely different years. And the same story? I mean, come on. That's unusual. What are the odds? Well, here's the thing, Charlie. Whatever the answer to that question is, it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Because if it were only our two schools, then I don't believe anything anymore. I don't understand how the world works in any way and my brain blows off because the, the odds of her only ever judging two high school things and it being me and you and us <laughs> later finding our way to each other, then that is a fucking crazy story. But you're right. It's more likely that over that five-year time span, she was doing a series of yeah. uh, junior high school judging around theatre. And so there's other people who have their own Siobhan Chuk story. So I guess that's what we want to hear from. We want to hear from, you know how they have truthers. We want to hear from the mm. Chukas. If yeah, you're right. out there and you well, think you've been siobhan we yeah. want to hear from you. <laughs> exactly. It's kind of like when the Washington Post is like researching a story on like a Roy Moore or whatever. They will sort of probably contact people and say, if you went to high school between, say, 1990 and 1998, uh, yeah. we'd love to hear from you. If you were involved in theatre, <laughs> if, yeah. if you had a wacky theatre sports team. If you were involved in theatre and you had a cast member of the comedy club who didn't have their own recurring comedy, character. Comedy company, mate. Comedy oh, company. Sorry. Please. What did I call it? The comedy the Comedy club. club. Although I'm sure it was rebranded as something like that. Didn't it change its name to the Comedy Connection or something at some point? Yeah, but I mean, back then they were a comedy company. They were, yeah. you know, incorporated. They were, pre they were a corporation. They were comedy incorporated. Uh, next question is from Billy Yost. He says, uh, hi, Will and O'Charlie. Will and O'Charlie, Will and Charlie. That's a, that's a hilarious uh, typo that worked out. Will and O. Will and O'Charlie. Lando Carissian, Will and O'Charlie. No, it doesn't work. <laughs> I had an idea about how to really spare on the development of the inevitable TOEFOP death cult. <laughs> Strong right, opening. Good, good. Strong opening. <laughs> like many listeners, 
I listen. I re-listened to episodes of Tofop and Two Guys, One Cup multiple times. In fact, I actually sleep with one or other of the podcasts playing the entire night. Do you ever do that? Do you go to sleep listening to things? No, because um, I uh, my fear is I would like to, because mm. so, I actually do like to listen to things in bed. But my fear is always uh, that I will. So I will listen with headphones on. Mm. But what if I fall asleep with my headphones on, and but then in the night I forget that my alarm. I always have alarm anxiety issues because I have an early morning job, so I always need to know that my phone is plugged into the wall and there's yeah. like three alarms set and the volume is up before I go to bed because otherwise I would just worry about that all night. But you got an iPad, you can just listen off the iPad. Plug your phone in and listen off the iPad. They do podcasts and audiobooks. You know what, Charlie? I do have an iPad, but I haven't really got past Netflix. <laughs> I really don't do anything else but Netflix on that iPad. Uh, until you actually had mentioned to me that I could download a podcast to that iPad, the thought had never occurred to me. <laughs> well, I've been listening. I think we've talked about this before, but I've been listening to Stephen King's It on audiobook, uh, which is really long. It's like a 60-hour audiobook. And the dude who does the voices is awesome. But his Pennywise is terrifying and there's been numerous occasions where I've woken up in the middle of the night with Pennywise trying to lure me into the gutter telling me I'll float. Uh, I actually sleep with one or other of the podcasts playing the entire night. That means I may, ran ra may randomly wake up to Will talking about the Bulldogs getting cucked or you overly committing to singing a full verse of a song, which is always hilarious. Well, you know... We, do we, is that a, is that a Tofop staple that we sing the full verse of the song? I mean, Charlie, how would we know? We don't we listen don't to know. the podcast. It's it. up to the listeners to judge us, and it's not up to us. We, we have no mirrors in our houses because we're both technically vampires because our parents didn't vaccinate. <laughs> I can't assume I'm the only one who sleeps with the podcast on, so I imagine this would be the ideal activator to really get the Tofop space monkey-esque cult swinging into action. Maybe you could dedicate a segment to all the sleeping teabaggers out there. And like the Simpsons episode, A Clockwork Orange and Flowers for Algernon before you, start programming REM sleep instructions that will ultimately fail. And instead of creating some perfect serene death cult, a bunch of random people all over the globe will just wake up naked in a bus for reasons they can't quite explain. I'm here to help. Love Bill. Uh, by the way, Charlie... Uh, I, I feel like he's woken up naked on a bus for reasons you can't explain and he's trying to backdate this story. I, I feel like he's trying to put together an explanation that he can tell his friends and family about why it fucking happened and he's trying to blame it on us. That's what I'm hearing. I don't like the idea of uh, uh, um, subconscious suggestion. I mean, maybe Mike Howell can work something. I don't know how to do it, but if we... If we play it backwards or something like that, or can we do like a, a, a register a secret message at a different frequency that only dogs can, can I, hear or something? Can so. I just say that you said, uh, I wonder if Mike Hell can do that, and immediately he just typed up, yes, I can. Like he's been <laughs> waiting for this moment. Like he's never typed anything up so quickly. He's like, can I use mind control on the podcast? Yes, guys. I've been working on this technology for months, and you finally fucking got to it. This is how the machines finally rise up with two human stooges. I mean, it'd be the perfect plan for the rise of the machine if they really wanted to like, you know, kind of insinuate it because this is a mm. podcast that is constantly giving people warnings about the rise of the machines. And so it'd be the perfect place to be infiltrating people's brains. You're getting to the, you know, right? No one would yeah. expect there'd be the rise of the machines would come out of this podcast. There's a podcast that I uh, was put on to 
that helps people go to sleep, which is literally just a girl talking about her day, which is the most boring, mundane minutia of her day, which is, it's just like that white noise of someone talking, which apparently it's really, really popular. We could do something like yeah. that. Did you, did, do you reckon she planned it to be a podcast that helped people sleep? Or just... I think it's a, a, the, it's a, it's a, the room situation where it's like, <laughs> oh yeah, it totally meant it to be a comedy. It's a, ironic. People are, con- people are constantly coming up to her going, I love your sleep podcast. She's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I'm telling you my day. It's meant to be compelling. Why are you sleeping? <laughs> Our next letter is from Will with one L. Okay. Ah, yeah. I know why I highlighted is this one. Is it me in the future? Yes. No, it's, uh, oh, well, his email is willful, so maybe. Some, maybe okay. Might be your biggest fan. This could be your stan. Right. Dear Will, I emailed you, but you still ain't calling. <laughs> I left myself my page and my own phone on the bottom. I sent two letters back in autumn. You must not have got them. They probably was from the post office or something. There you go. Yeah, it turns out we do like seeing the whole verse. So. Yeah. Now, I only wanted to read this email out just because it made me laugh. Uh, Hey guys, not a question, just a link to one of the Westfield creators talking about the release, uh, releasing the spoilers for the upcoming season. (laughs) Clearly a typo. He's talking about Westworld. (laughs) But I I was going to say, because when he said Westfield, there was a story in the paper the other day that um, uh, one of the sons of the Westfield, uh, you know, kind of shopping organization, one of the lowies or whatever, Mm. he's just started doing stand up. In America, he's gone through a divorce and he's this like billionaire 50-year-old who's decided really? to take out his frustrations about his divorce by becoming a hack stand-up comedian. So he's been doing these like Vegas rooms doing like divorce jokes. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? It's like, mate, I'm not building shopping centers. Stick in your own fucking lane, Tiger. Uh, this will is also from Gippsland. So I don't know. Maybe you've had an impact in your hometown, Will. Wow. Our next letter is from someone you might know, Mr. Adam Spencer. Uh, Adam's got some advice for us. You know how last week we were stumbling over uh, our email addresses, emailtofop at gmail.com. So he says, the smoothest way to announce the way the contact to, to contact the show would be to say, to email tofop email, email tofop at gmail.com. <laughs> he also has you some know extra... What, you know what I love the most about that is? Knowing Adam uh, so well. He would have thought about that and then he just would not have been able to resist writing it to us. Once he thought about it, he would have been like, well, got to get to the computer now. He's also got some information, extra information about uh, last week's uh, inventors who were killed by their inventions. Thomas Midgley, oh, the guy who, who choked in his own polio harness, is famous uh, uh, for not one, but two inventions that did incredible damage to society. Tetraethyl lead, e.g. Uh, e. leaded petrol, which stunted the intelligence of generations of kids, and chlorofluorocarbons, which reached a hole in the ozone layer. <laughs> Not a bad day's work, Thomas Midgley. <laughs> Adam signs off by saying, I'm happy to provide heartwarming stories about working with Will interspersed between the CGI dick grabs. <laughs> <laughs> and we have been sent a few photoshops, uh, which has been great. Keep them coming. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I, I will I give a shout out to James Fosdyke, who does our art, who at the time was really disappointed uh, that he didn't get a shout out in the mention that he would be providing the animated dicks for the documentary <laughs> about my life. Uh, I will say, sorry, James, I thought about it at the time, but I just thought it was t- so obvious that it was unspoken. <laughs> I assumed that the fact that you can weave a dick into things that aren't even dick related, I assumed that you would be number one responsible for the, dick, 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 the dicks in my documentary. <laughs> When we were talking about that episode last week and 
we said we should call the documentary Dicks. In my head, I'm like, oh no. Like we have just given Fosdyke license to do the artwork <laughs> for this week. And so I'll just read you the email exchange we had. Um, so I asked him how he was and he says, how, how am I? I'm listening to Tofop that's chock-a-block with dick references and I'm not mentioned once. How do you think I am? Uh, and I wrote back and said, oh yeah, as soon as we mentioned dicks, I was like, oh no, Foz will lose his mind. I didn't want to add fuel to the fire by actually mentioning it on the show. <laughs> and he wrote back, I really want to call the episode dicks and draw a bunch of dicks. <laughs> so I got that email and it's like, ah. Oh. And so I wrote back and said, I knew you would, but I feel like it might be a bit much. I really like this episode and I don't want to put anyone off listening, which I think a bunch of dicks might do. Is there a creative way around it? Maybe Will holding a mic, but the mic has been cut out in Photoshop and it's just a dick-shaped white space? Maybe something not, <laughs> maybe something not dick-related. He writes back in all caps, don't starve for my creativity. Then his next email is a, has an attachment, which is the Tofop logo surrounded by cartoon dicks. <laughs> I wrote back, James, this is exactly what I was afraid of. <laughs> Sorry, we need art we can actually post. Use your creativity to come up with something less literal. <laughs> I wasn't seriously going to do that, but I can see why you think I would. And I was like, I thought maybe you'd spell out the word dicks in dicks, but what you did was much, much worse. <laughs> And then he sent me an email which has uh, a, a bunch of uh, artwork he's made in the past using dick typography where he spelled things out <laughs> with dicks. So I don't know if we dodged a bullet, but we definitely were dancing around it. <sighs> Tien and McLaren. Actually, no, I'm going to read him last because that's a good one. Okay. Oh, Michael Trelaw. <laughs> I'll skip over that. Michael Jalor uh, sent in a, a Photoshop of you at the uh, Gruen transfer desk holding a dick instead of a, a mug, which is great. I'll send that to you after the show. Thank you for that, Michael. Also, you don't need to send that to me. Thank you very much. <laughs> Last letter comes from uh, Tien and McLaren. Hi, Charlie and Will. I'm a longish uh, time fan from Melbourne, been listening since 2014 when I was in year nine. And now I'm into my first year of uni. Oh, I feel bad. I feel like kids have been listening to us for that long. It's a bit like this, those kids that have been vaccinated in the Lost Boys. <laughs> when they become adults, yeah. what kind of life do they have? It's not our fault though, Charlie. We just provide the content. The children of today are the ones who download it. It's the technology companies that make it so easy to download it. I mean, yeah. we're, we're, we're the, down the bottom of that chain, Charlie. It's not our fault. Anyway, thanks very much for all the laughs and getting me through year 12. Now, the sinister bit. I'm writing in reference to your ad for movement sunglasses in the last episode of Tofop, where you reference big sunglasses jokingly and talk about them as an evil conglomerate. The truth is a multinational company called Luxot... Lux, 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 oh, fuck. Here we go. Another episode where Charlie can't fucking pronounce things. Luxotica. Luxotica. Oh, like luxury. Luxotica? Luxotica or Luxotica? Luxury. L-U-X. Luxotica. Let's call it Luxotica. The truth is a multinational company called Luxotica actually is that evil company. The Skynet of eyewear. Luxotica either owns or manufactures... Are you talking iNet? Luxotica either owns or manufactures on behalf of 80% of the world's glasses brands, including, oh but not limited to, Ray-Bans, 
Oakley, Prada, DNG, Chanel, Versace, Bulgari, DKNY, and many more. Wow. Now, you may say Tiernan, for that is my name. Tiernan, it's not. I like this. Like, give me direction. I'm an actor. Give me direction in your emails. Tiernan is not unnatural. Tiernan, it's not unnatural for one company to control such a large share of the market, such as the flawless manner of capitalist enterprise. And to that I say, well, monopolies are a thing, but it also gets worse. On top of this, because of their huge prescription glasses investment, they also own a series of international chains of glasses supply stores, such as Sunglasses Hut, OPSM, Lens Crafters, Target Op- Optical, and Sears Optical. I mean, Charlie, I- I've, so I've bought sunglasses in the past from Sunglasses Hut several times. Oh my God, I've been part of this international conspiracy that I wasn't even aware of until Tiernan has uncovered it. This is like spotlight. I think I'm good because I just get my sunglasses uh, when I go to Hungry Jack's in one of those family packs. Right. <laughs> you know, the ones with the, the fluoro arms. And occasionally at a 3D movie, you'll just yeah. smuggle the glasses out and just wear them in public. My 30th, after my 30th, I had a few people back at my place uh, early in the morning. And uh, one of our friends offered to go uh, down the shops for us. Oh, and she was a bit worried about how she looked because we'd had such a big night. It was really early in the morning. Yep. And so she asked for sunglasses. And so I jokingly gave her 3D glasses, assuming that she would realize that I was joking and, you know, not wear them out. But she just took them and left before I could say anything. <laughs> she had this whole morning. She went out and she got us some stuff and she sat at a cafe, had a coffee, chatted to the barista <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> Wearing my 3D movie glasses, none the wiser. There's a pair at the apartment there. I think there's a pair of 3D movie sunglasses. Oh, are on they the those shelf there mega somewhere. ones? Yeah. They're like futuristic. That's when I went to see the uh, opening night of Star Wars and they thought there was an active shooter at the oh, cinema yeah, at the Grove right. and we all got evacu- evacuated from the movie and. Um, it, they were going to get everyone to stick around and go back in. But I was like, mm, they just thought there was a shooter here. I reckon I might just go home. And so I took my, they're my 3D sunglasses from that night. Did they charge more for those ones? Because they're fancy. Was that that? I don't know. Because like, you told me there's a cinema in LA. I haven't been there yet. One that's like, I don't know. What is it? It's something yeah, about Yeah, it's at the Man's Chinese Theatre. They have a new right. like... Uh, incredible new sort of 3D technology in there that has, yeah, no, it's it's like nothing I've ever seen. I saw Fury Road there and it would just fucking blew my mind. Right. Was that the same place where you saw Star Wars? No. no I, was, right. I was at the Grove. Okay. Okay. Oh, active shooter at the Grove. Holy fuck. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, well, they thought the so. Time. They thought, like, and there was 15 cinemas full of people dressed in their Star Wars gear. So it was the weirdest evacuation of all time because you're evacuating, like, surrounded by, like, Chewbacca. Kenobi and Chewbacca and <laughs> shit. Oh, just while we're on that, did you watch the Solo uh, trailer? Trailer? Yes. What did you think? Yeah, you know, whatever. I'm, I'm, yeah, all right. I'll watch that on a plane, I think, maybe. I don't know that Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things where I'm like, what I realised is it looks fine. Like, mm. it, it, like, the actual trailer itself, you go, oh, yeah, that looks fine. But this is, to me, a classic example. And maybe this is, like, I don't have that much affection for the Star Wars yeah, movies, as you know, but I really mm. love the last one. Um, but I reckon telling Han Solo's backstory does not make the series better. I reckon everything you need to know about Han Solo is told 
in the first Star Wars movie, I reckon. Like, you know, just that first scene at the bar, you know, he shoots Greedo in the bar. You know he's a guy with a fucking dodgy past who's willing to kind of, you know, do anything. That's all you need to know about Han Solo. I'm not sure that I want all the things before that filled in. I feel like in like in 30 seconds, they managed to tell you every single thing you needed to know about that character. And having another hour and a half of backstory does will give, I don't think will give me anything more to enjoy that character. And this is the franchise that thought it was a good idea to give us the backstory of one of cinema's greatest villains. Right. <laughs> so don't have a great track record, you know, delving yeah, into hey, the past of their own. You know that characters. great villain you want to only think of as a monster? He's him as a kid. A whiny kid. <laughs> uh, okay, so they own a chain of glasses supply stores as well. This means okay. the people who often diagnose people who's needing glasses have a direct conflict of interest in their patient receiving glasses. This also leads to price gouging to the tune of hundreds of dollars, leaving Columbia law professor Tim Wu to describe it as relatively obscene. During a supply cost dispute with Oakley, they dropped Oakley sunglasses from all their stores, watched their stock price collapse, and then bought the company. <laughs> Holy wow. shit. That's some I real... I mean, we vi- have uncovered anything. We have, like... That, this is what it feels like to literally stumble onto a big story. I yeah. made some joking reference to big sunglasses, and it turns out there is such a thing, and they're destroying smaller companies. <laughs> so next week, our sponsor will be Ray-Ban. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's what I'm getting out of this letter. Why are we assigning ourselves with an independent minnow like movement sunglasses when we can get on board with the biggest monopoly in the world? Well, maybe Tien and McKernan works for movement. Maybe this is propaganda. Well, no, because if it needed the propaganda, they could have just sent it to us and sent us a check and we would have read it out. Yeah, that's true. So you don't need to actually just... This would be incredible on behalf of movement where they're actually not only getting the ad reads on but then getting staffers interns to follow up with conspiracy theory letters at this point of my story i presume you both will be wrapped into fetal position vowing never to wear glasses again muttering about the fact that this world you once loved has descended into a hieronymus bosch style esque style nightmare yeah you really first year uni using some big words you're a better writer than i am yeah, but that's typical first year uni. Yeah, that's right. your typical first year uni dropping in some shit you just learnt last week as if you've known it forever. I know who Hieronymus Bosch is. Look at this. Yeah, and then you it, get older and you don't care so much. Is it a bit of monolithic epi- epicureanism? Oh, this has got monolithic epicureanism <laughs> all over it. In fact, oh, Charlie, so I'm doing my other podcast, Philosophy, again. And uh, the other day I had. Andy Zaltzman on. Uh, you might know Andy Zaltzman from The Bugle, which he used to do with John Oliver, and he's a brilliant UK political satirist. Uh, and he was talking, I was talking to him about his philosophy, and he said he did a radio series where he actually studied, you know, different philosophies to see which mm. one that he, you know, fit into the most. So he studied the Stoics, and then he said, and I studied Epicureanism. Oh, no shit. <laughs> no shit. Wow. I mean, if this was an episode of Lost or something, all this shit starts to connect up, right? The Siobhan Tuke, Epicureanism, like, yeah. that's, that's weird. Or is it kind of like when you have a baby, you notice everyone else, all the babies in the world, or when you're in love, you notice people holding hands and couples and everywhere. Is that what it is? We just tune that's into That's exactly what it is. We think it's a conspiracy, but yeah. it's actually a coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> We want to give our lives meaning, meaning. because we're so sad and, <laughs> and we socially just crippled. Basic patterns <laughs> and try to give them illusions and layers of meaning. 
<laughs> we do quote marks that no one can see inappropriately for stuff that isn't need to be in quotes. But it helps us do the voice. <laughs> Tiernan continues. By advertising and promoting third-party brands like MVMT, you help disrupt this monopoly whilst providing Heroes. listeners a stylish and affordable alternative. Oh, there you go, movement. movement. You movement shill. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so thank you, nobles. Here we go. You want some monolithic epicureanism? Yes, First please. year uni language? So thank you, noble soldiers, for your gallant courage in the face of almost certain death at the hands of the Italian Lux Luxatica... Oh, fuck. Luxatica Games. <laughs> Do not go gentle into that good night, but go boldly on with sunglasses for men that capture the world as you see it. Oh, how's that? Good Pretty on good. you, Tiernan. That was Tiernan unreal. McLaren. I think I called you McKernan before. I apologise. <laughs> well, not, and the you know, not the only thing you mispronounced in that letter, so... <laughs> He'll be fine. And the best part about his email is at the end, he footnotes it with about half a dozen references. <laughs> so oh, he's provide Well, he is first year uni. Yeah. He's done his research. <laughs> yeah. Half a dozen references and a YouTube link. Well, that's all you need this day and age to prove a point. Half a dozen uh, YouTube references that I won't ever look at. So <laughs> I believe you, Tim. All right. Let's, uh, yep. let's wind things up. Why don't you promote your show? Uh, my show is called Will Legal. It has uh, one week to go probably by the time people hear this at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. You might hear this in time to see the Sunday show this weekend, but otherwise Wednesday to Sunday, the final week of the festival. It is selling really fast. We're ahead of last year. Um, I'm really happy with the show, so come out and see it. After that, I'm going to Perth for the Perth Comedy Festival. Come out and see that, Perth people. And then after that, uh, Canberra and Sydney. They are all on sale at the moment, so um, get some tickets to those shows. Uh uh, that would be absolutely fantastic. And yes, as I mentioned, my other podcast, Willosophy, we've been doing a heap of episodes while there's been comedians in town for the Comedy Festival. And so uh, Mike Hell's been doing a really good job, uh, James and everybody, uh, getting out two of those a week. So there's a little backlog of about six or seven episodes of uh, Willosophy if you haven't got back into the new season. We managed to do 12 in the entirety of last year and we might get 12 done in the first sort of six weeks of doing it uh, this year. So that's a good start. I, I, I like that. Uh, we won't keep up that pace. Sorry? We won't keep up that pace. No. I need to point out to people that this is just a bit of a, it's like your Netflix binge style. We're dropping a bunch of episodes. You know, yeah. Beyonce style, we're dropping an album and then yeah. we'll just go back into sort of a weekly release schedule. We can't afford for you to keep that pace, paying all the people who put the shows together. It's like, whoa, 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 slow down, slow down. Well, I, I will say that. That's why um, if you con contribute to our Patreon page, um, uh, patreon.com slash tofop, that supports all our podcasts. So Mike Hal, who edits this podcast together he's also been editing all the philosophies together james who does the art does unique art for the philosophy episodes and puts a bit of work into those so we pay for all that stuff out of the tofop patreon and at the moment apart from movement sunglasses every now and again we don't have any sponsors uh for the podcast so your contribution even if it's like a dollar even if it's a regular contribution it just helps us know that we have, say, this amount of money left there to buy a new router or to, you know, <laughs> be able to, <laughs> to be able to pay people to put up episodes. And, um, you know, the hope is in the future at some stage we'll get a sponsor back on board for some of them. But the Patreon money is the reason that you get to hear the episodes. And we're just starting to put in some more unique content for the Patreon page. We just recorded a bonus episode of our footy podcast that went up there before we did this and a few things like that. And you can access all that bonus content, you know, um, if you're a member 
of the Patreon page, all James's art, um, you know, some great uh, Quantum Cop, the series you guys have been doing together. Q&A videos. There's lots of stuff there. And also support the people who support us. So if you are in the market for a new watch or sunglasses, remember to use uh, uh, the TOEFOP code when you when you buy it yep. because that lets them know that people are, are buying are buying the stuff because because we told you to. Because we did some mind control while you're asleep. That will be our next Patreon bonus is just white noise, but laced under it, Mike Hal <laughs> will be putting some cryptic subliminal message in there. I mean, you know what the thing is, Charlie? I must admit that, like, up until this point, because of the arrangement we have with movement, like, you know, I was glad to have them on board and everything, and I've seen your sunglasses and they look fantastic. Mike Hal gave them a very good recommendation last week. By the way, they're not a sponsor of this episode. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, because of my ABC contract, can't get sent free stuff and then talk about it. So Sucker. I don't actually have a pair of them myself. But now I've heard all about this like fucking, you know, big sunglasses. Yeah. I'm like, fuck that. I literally, regardless of whether movement keeps sponsoring our fucking podcast, like from now on, if I ever buy a new pair of sunglasses again, I'm going to get movement sunglasses because at least I'm trying to bring down big sunglasses, man. And because you're indie as fuck, dude. Indie as yeah, fuck. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> indie as fuck. Use the code TOEFOP. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. Subconscious suggestion. Can I use my control of the podcast? You didn't think I would let this opportunity go to waste, did you? Get ready. Here it comes. You have your instructions. Execute. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. It's not optional. You have to do it. <laughs> we used to go easy on it, but now you have to. Yeah. Yeah.